Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Good morning. It is Friday, June 4th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Lance Glynn. Wanted to remind everyone that if you like what you hear, make sure to drop us a five-star rating and leave us a review. We love to see your comments and would be so gracious for feedback if you want us to cover a topic we haven't already or if we haven't hit your favorite team yet as we preview all the Power 5 schools this offseason. Of course, if we have already covered your favorite team and you missed it or want to listen back, don't worry. We have all the episodes for you. Just go to Spotify, search for the playlist across the country with the College Football Daily, and listen as we preview your favorite program. I am very excited to continue marching towards our goal as today we take a look at Iowa football. Joining me on the podcast now is David Eicholt of 24-7 Sports, HawkeyeInsider.com. David, how are we doing? Thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, Lance, good to be with you. Things are going well, just uh, 92 days till kickoff. So uh, very excited to see fans back in Kinnick and all across the country. So, you know, you said 92 days. Let's just jump right into it. You know, starting on offense with Iowa and specifically starting with the quarterback position, starter Spencer Petrus and backup Alex Padilla both returned this season. Look, for Petrus last year, it was his first as a full-time starter, and it was quite the year to begin your time as the guy in Iowa City, right, dealing with, you know, a, a... unusual offseason and obviously a, a season that was in question really every single week. But look, he led them to a six and two season, started off slow, especially that Northwestern game through three picks and they lost, ended up losing only by one, but he got better as the year progressed. His improvement, look, it's obviously crucial to Iowa's success in 2021. Where does he need to improve this offseason to take that next step? And just what are your thoughts on the room as a whole with the familiar faces returning to it? Yeah, you know, I think the number one thing is, I think, just poise in the pocket, comfort in the pocket. There were a number of times last year where it was almost as if a timer would go off in his head. And there was just a couple of weird plays that the one I specifically think of, I believe it was against Nebraska. He got caught up in the pocket. He just literally span around. And then even though nobody was coming through the ball, end up being an interception. So I think comfort and poise in the pocket. I think the leadership intangibles are there. I think he has a strong arm, but I think there is room for improvement on the touch on the deep ball as well. I think Brand Smith was a little bit underutilized last year. Amir Smith-Marset was probably one of the more premier deep threats in the Big Ten, but they just really couldn't get on the same page until late in the year. If there is a source for optimism, though, I think a couple of things. One, there was a normal offseason. I mean, spring practice for a developmental program like Iowa, you can't replicate spring practice and the reps that you get at any other point in the year because it's strictly individual work. So I think that's going to play into his favor. And, you know, hopefully with a normal summer and a normal fall camp, maybe that'll help to uh, take his game to the next level. But I do think if you look at the last two games of the season, four touchdowns to zero interceptions after starting really shaky, I think, for the first uh, first five or six weeks. So he ended the season on a high note, and I think that will pay dividends going into the offseason. Obviously, Iowa's final two games got canceled uh, due to COVID-19, but as you mentioned, 6-2 and two record. And I think on top of it all, you talk about Alex Padilla, 
Alex Padilla was very impressive to me in spring ball. I know we got two opportunities to see him. A little bit of a shorter quarterback, not the prototypical, you know, pocket passing Iowa quarterback, but he had some zip on the ball, had good pocket presence, was able to escape. And I do think that he's going to be pushing Spencer. And I don't think that the leash is going to be necessarily long for Spencer. If Spencer doesn't really show improvement through the first couple of games, I don't think Iowa's going to hesitate to throw Alex back there by week three or week four. That's what's good, I guess, to have not only experience returning as your starter, but experience returning at the backup as well. Look, few quarterbacks could have success without a strong offensive line. Iowa, of course, historically has had that. Tim Pulasic, who had been the offensive line coach since 2017, he moved on to become offensive coordinator at Wyoming. And replacing him is George Barnett, who most recently was the offensive line coach at Tulane for, I think, only about three or four months. Perhaps the biggest loss, though, for the Hawkeyes in that group is all Big Ten left tackle Alaric Jackson. They also lost Mark Kallenberger due to retirement from football. Are you worried about the offensive line with the changes it has gone through this offseason? And what do you think the plan is for Barnett and Ferentz to replace Jackson on the left side? Yeah, you know, I'll say this too. You know, Paul Seck did move on, but I think he left Iowa quite a gift with that offensive line class that he hauled in. There's three, four-star tackles. There's a lot of talent coming in there. And George Barnett's been coaching the position group for over 20 years. And I think when you combine that with, like you mentioned, Kirk Ferentz's kind of an offensive line guru over his career. I think there is some cause for concern just because the Kallenberger was a little bit surprising, I think, to people on the outside. He saw one more year of eligibility, but I think his body was just telling him he's done. I think he saw what football injuries did to his father and to his brother, and he just said, hey, you know, I want to be healthy, and I got what I wanted out of football. And as you mentioned, Larry Jackson moving on as well. I think the biggest boost, though, for Iowa in the offseason, which, I don't, you know, hasn't really been talked about because he never really debated on going pro, Tyler Linderbaum, who I think is the nation's best center, is returning. They also returned Kyler Schott, who was a top 10 returning interior lineman by Pro Football Focus. But I think a couple of guys you're going to want to look on the outside. I think you don't want to sleep on Cody Ince who has actually played a lot of guard for Iowa, but they're going to move him out to tackle. So he does have the experience, but obviously you can be versatile, but if you don't dominate in one position, then, you know, being versatile might not be the best weapon. They also have Jack Plum, who I believe is entering his third or fourth year in the program as well. He's added a lot of good weight. They're really excited about him, but experience just pays dividends. And I'll tell you what, those guys are going to have to continue to make strides through summer and fall because when you look at Iowa's schedule, they might have the toughest first two weeks in the country. I mean, hosting a top 15 Indiana squad who probably has one of the nation's best secondaries, in my opinion. And then you go with Iowa State, and this is without a doubt the most highly anticipated Cyhawk game in history as well. So I think there's going to be some learning curves early, but I'll always say this. I try not to take too much away from spring practice when it comes to the offensive line, because I think the offensive line is normally the most shaky group across the country in spring football. And with the new coaching staff, it's going to take some time, but I think there's a lot of talent in the room, but you just got to be able to get those reps in. And you mentioned that Cyhawk game, obviously Iowa, a model of consistency in Iowa State. This is their best team. You know, I have followed Iowa State football, obviously, but one of their best teams in a long time, if not ever. And I think for a lot of people, a dark horse team to possibly make uh, the college football playoffs. So I want to continue this narrative of change. Look, Iowa also lost two of their leading receivers, the NFL and Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith. Who are some early favorites and guys that receivers coach Kelton Copeland is pointing towards to replace them? Yeah, I think number one guy, people, not just in 
just Big Ten football, but across the country, I think a name that's going to make waves is Tyrone Tracy Jr. I think he's a different hybrid of a receiver that Iowa's had in the last 20 years. Not the biggest guy in the world as far as height, only about 5'11", 6 feet tall. Very strong, incredibly explosive. And I think he has the chance to be one of the best all-around receivers Iowa's had. It may be since Marvin McNutt back in 2011, who was the last all Big Ten wide receiver Iowa's had. And I guess maybe a bold prediction. I think Tyrone Tracy will become Iowa's first all Big Ten caliber receiver since Marvin McNutt. I think he's got the skill set to do that. Another couple of guys you're going to want to keep in mind as well is Nico Regani, who has just been, a, been tip, that typical kind of slot receiver for Iowa. You think of guys like Matt Vandenberg, you know, Riley McCarron. He's just going to be a weapon across the middle and on, on third down specifically. And a name that people want to keep an eye on as well is. Keegan Johnson, true freshman, came in early enrollee. He's been making waves, made a lot of standout plays in spring practice, about six feet one, great route runner, solid hands. And I think he's going to be a guy who has a chance to make an immediate impact. And also don't sleep on Arlen Bruce, the fourth, who's also a true freshman, early enrollee. So while Iowa is losing the proven weapons and Brand Smith and Amir Smith-Marset, they do have guys at receiver. And it will be led by Tyrone Tracy. And I'd be remiss not to throw in tight end Sam Laporta, who I think Iowa's tight end production has slowed over the last two years. And it, it was kind of a hard follow-up act when you have TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant on the same team when they were the first duo to ever be uh, selected in the first round of the NFL draft from the same school as far as tight ends go. Uh, but I think Sam Laporta is going to be a very, very big weapon for that Iowa passing attack as well. I want to switch to the defense. Should Hawkeye fans be cautiously optimistic or just flat out nervous about the defensive line? Because yes, obviously returning Zach Van Valkenburg is great, but they lose a ton of production with Davion Nixon, Chauncey Golston, and Jack Heflin all moving on to the NFL. If I'm an Iowa fan, how should I feel about this group? You know, I would be cautiously optimistic. And here's what I would point to. Kelvin Bell has been a, you know, a model of consistency. And this was actually the third year in a row that Iowa's lost three defensive line starters. And they, they found guys to step up every single year. Chauncey Golston, as you mentioned, continue to step up. Uh, Davion Nixon, who was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year last year, stepped up. Uh, but there is a lot of youth, I think, on the defensive line. And that's why it was such a huge win, as you mentioned, to get Zach Van Valkenburg back. Uh, three and a half sacks last year. It was a great sealing the edge. But they have guys who in the program though as well. I think John Wagner could be in for a breakout year, a former four-star defensive line prospect in-state kid uh, by 24-7 sports. I think you look at a guy like Yahweh Black, who I think could be in for a big year at defensive tackle. Got some reps at end last year, but didn't get the chance to see him in spring, but his teammates and coaches have absolutely been raving about him. Six foot six, 290. I mean, a huge, huge potty uh, in the middle. And I'm going to throw this out there as well. Don't be surprised, I think, if Iowa lands a defensive line from somebody from the transfer portal uh, to come in and maybe make an immediate impact and to slowly get some more experience, especially in the interior defensive line. But I think when you look at the history and you look at the history of them just losing a couple guys year in, year out, the coaching staff remains intact. I think they should be cautiously optimistic. And I said last year they should have been flat out nervous, but then we saw what Davion Nixon obviously did in, in his time last year. So I will say it's probably going to be the, the shakiest part of that defense because I think that defense as a whole is going to be among the best in the country as it, it has been over the past couple of years. But I think cautiously optimistic is probably the right word to describe it. And, you know, this wasn't even one of the questions I planned on asking, but you had brought it up before the Cyhawk game. Obviously, I said Iowa every single year, eight, nine, 10 wins. Iowa State, this is the year for them, basically, for Matt mm -hmm. Campbell and that group. What is just the overall vibe with Iowa football as a whole right now when you have, obviously, these two programs, <laughs> like you said, the most hyped up Cyhawk game, you know, maybe even ever? 
You know, it's interesting. I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but when you look at the history over Kirk Ferentz's career, the best seasons actually come uh, typically, typically, not always, when Iowa does beat Iowa State. I mean, it's a thing that really carries that team forward. And, you know, Iowa has won five straight against Iowa State. I think there's a little bit of a just a, a boulder on the back of, of the Cyclones right now as far as trying to get over that hump. But like you said, I think this is the year that Iowa State, if they are going to get over that hump, this is the year. But that's not a shot against Iowa because I think Iowa's a top 15 team in the country hanging into the season comfortably. Mi- minimum top 20, no worse than top 20, I think. I think the vibe's optimistic. Like you said, they lost a lot of playmakers, but you look at a lot of the returning starters, and I think the quote that stands out to me from Kirk Ferentz's spring press conferences, our best players got better. And that's exactly what you want and you expect. I mean, they get Tyler Goodson back, who's an all-Big Ten first-team caliber running back. They have, again, I think Tyrone Tracy's in for a breakout year. They returned all five starters in that Iowa secondary. They returned uh, Jack Campbell, who I think is going to become a national name at linebacker uh, this season as well. So, and, and I'll say this. This is one of the most shocking stats I've probably heard in, in my <laughs> at least time in covering Iowa. 65 of Iowa's players had never gone through a spring practice before this spring practice. And that includes guys like Dane Belton, like Jack Campbell, like Tyler Goodson. I mean, guys are already pretty solid players are actually getting the chance to work on their, you know, just their individual development in a, in a controlled professional, you know, college football type environment. So I I think that's going to play a big role, but like you said, on the flip side, look at Iowa state. I think they returned 20, their 22 starters. I mean, all the expectations in the world are on the Cyclones, but I'll tell you why I, I, I can't wait for that game. I think after Iowa fans and Iowa State fans were missing that drive last year and that adrenaline, I'm anticipating an all-out hostile war names Iowa uh, when that takes place. <laughs> I can't wait for it. Very likely top 20, top 15 Iowa team, and for most polls and, and most experts right now, a top 10 Iowa State team. What do you think are expectations for this Iowa season? You know, How high of a ceiling do you think the 2021 version of this program has obviously Iowa consistently eight, nine win seasons. Could they get to that 10, 11 win range? Yeah. I mean, I think without a doubt, I think the big 10 West is fairly open. I think without a doubt, the best two teams in the West though, it's going to be Wisconsin. It's going to be, I think it's Wisconsin, Iowa. To be fair though, Northwestern, I hate counting them out because every single time they act like they aren't going to do anything, they they somehow crawl out a win, they somehow crawl out, you know, a Big Ten West title. But I mean, I think the first two weeks are going to say a lot about this Iowa team. They cannot start off 0-2. I think if they start off 0-2, I think the ceiling is only about eight wins. If they split it, I still think Iowa can get to that nine or 10 win threshold. I think, I don't want to say they should expect a Big Ten West title, but I think it's got to be on the table. And I think that when you look at the experience and you look at the caliber of players that are returning, it's going to be a fight. But you also look at the schedule. They go at Wisconsin on October 30th. And I think that could decide the Big Ten West right there. Uh, Iowa does have a bye week that week before. They will have to go at Nebraska to end the season. I think, you know, I do think Nebraska is going to take a step forward. I think they're going to be on the cusp of making a bowl game this year, but their schedule is not exactly a, a walk in the park either when you take a look at. But Iowa does get Penn State at home. They get Purdue at home. And I I think it does set up well. They get Minnesota at home. And probably the trickiest two-week stretch is going to be that, like I said, that Wisconsin game. Then they go at Northwestern. And, you know, Northwestern might be completely a dead environment. But that also does not exactly help the the visiting teams. We've heard numerous players and coaches say they hate playing there because Pat Fitzgerald just has his team tough as heck. The environment's weird. It's usually cloudy. It's usually dreary. It's usually cold. And they, they find a way to crawl out like the ugliest wins across college football. But at the end of the day, that's what matters. But as far as ceiling for Iowa, I think 
a Big Ten West title and a competitive Big Ten title game against Ohio State? Because, I mean, let's be honest, there's really no way Ohio State doesn't win the East this year. David, last one for me. Look, Kirk Ferentz, since he took over for Hayden Fry, has been the model of consistency, as we've been talking about. One season with a losing record since 2001. But look, they haven't been to a Big Ten title game since 2015. They went to the Rose Bowl that year. And obviously, that's the goal. Win the Big Ten West, compete for a conference title, and take your chances against whoever comes out of the Big Ten East. How does Iowa get back to that level and take the next step from eight to nine wins to 10 to 11 wins? I think it comes down to a couple of things. One, they're going to have to replace the tackle production. I mean, like we mentioned earlier, the offensive tackles. I think that they need to be consistent. They need to give Spencer time in the pocket. And the biggest thing, which I've said is, I don't want to say held back Iowa because that's not exactly fair to some degree, but quarterback play. I think you look at the lines, typically Iowa lines are really good. If you look at Iowa's secondary, they're tied among the nation's leader in interceptions for the past three or four seasons. They've had over 65 interceptions during that time frame. They win the turnover battle. The defense is usually among the best in the country as well as a system. I think the wide receiver talents there, I think that while tight ends unproven outside of San Laporta, I think that there are guys that can step up. Luke Lachey, son of Jim Lachey, the former great Ohio State Buckeye. I think Luke, Luke, former All-American as well in high school, I think he could step up and be a big red zone target as well. But Iowa's success is going to come down to Spencer Petras being able to take that step forward, complete those deep passes, be a leader in the pocket, control the team, and just take Iowa's offense to the next level. And if Tyler Goodson can have a you know, replicated season as what he had last year across the entire 12-13 game season, I, I do like Iowa's chances. But I do think it's going to come down to can Spencer take the next step forward? And if he can't, I think we're going to be talking about another, you know, eight, nine win Iowa team as opposed to a 10, 11 win Iowa team. You can follow him on Twitter at David Eichholt. Make sure to listen to the Swarmcast as well, an Iowa Hawkeyes podcast. David, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Lance. Appreciate it. If you like what you hear, make sure to rate, review, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We put out a new episode every single day. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Lance Glenn. Trey will be back tomorrow for the next edition of the College Football Daily. 